0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we look at technical and legal issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name is Melissa Yeo, and I'm one of the directors of the Society. In this episode, I sit down with Tegan Dowler, founder of The Blue Collared Woman, a community that supports the development of initiatives to achieve greater diversity and inclusion within the engineering, resource and construction industries. Teagan is also the author of the newly released book, Rules of the Game, women in the masculine industries. Tegan and I talk about issues facing women in the masculine industries, and how by understanding the filing cabinet which gives rise to these issues, they can navigate their way to achieve success in those industries and pave the way for future women to do the same. We also talk about why traditional strategies that have been deployed to promote gender equality are largely failing and why open, honest discussion is the way forward be sure to subscribe to the Society of Construction Law podcast to be alerted when new episodes are available. We look forward to sharing further podcasts with you. I'm Melissa Yeo, thanks for joining us. I read a story recently about a little girl who was smart, driven and competitive and who, at the tender age of eight, had formed the belief that little girls, including herself, shared the same potential as boys. This belief of hers was reinforced one day after she beat her male school friends in the quintessential elementary school contest, a game of Foursquare. The little girl was understandably pleased with her victory and went back to class feeling like a champion. But shortly after she returned to class, she was hauled into the principal's office and forbidden from playing Foursquare, all because the boys she had beat accused her of being mean the little girl was understandably shocked and devastated. She hadn't been mean, she had just won. Nevertheless, undeterred, and perhaps even fueled by that experience, she went on to excel on the sporting field and in academics, completing a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and a Master's of Human Resource Management at Melbourne University, before carving out a highly successful career working in the masculine industries of civil construction, steel processing and mining. Her success in those masculine industries is no doubt attributable to the fact that she is smart and capable, but also because she has made an effort to understand why those industries are the way they are. To assist others in doing the same, she established the Blue Collared Woman, a community helping to develop initiatives to achieve greater diversity and inclusion in the masculine industries. She also recently published a book entitled Rules of the Game, Women in the Masculine Industries. I am very pleased to have her here with me today. Tegan Dowler, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, Melissa. What a lovely introduction.
0: It's a pleasure to finally meet you. Um, So the BCW, the Blue Collared Woman, um, some of our listeners might not know what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like to run us through that? Because I only just recently found out about it myself.
1: Yeah, sure. So the BCW is essentially, as you mentioned, a community designed to link women who work across the masculine industries, whether that be mining, construction, engineering, and irrespective of role, it's around combining the the knowledge and the experiences together to unite women, but also to support us to uh, succeed and to advance in those industries.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic. I read your book over Christmas break, which was fantastic, by the way. What I enjoyed most about that book was that it's real. Mm. So you actually say right up front to the reader, um, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but you you know you thought about writing this lovely book that, you know, tells all the good things that women contribute and all of that without swearing um, and using harmonious language, and then you thought, stuff that. <laughs> um, can you tell me, were you nervous about putting it all out there? so
1: nervous, (laughs) so nervous and I was actually warned off from writing the book by some of my male mentors. Really? Yes. So when I was talking to them around the concept and certainly, well the book started initially as a blog first off and then it evolved into the idea of the book, but they they warned me from being honest and telling the truth because the industries are so small, Mm. everyone knows everyone and if you get a bad reputation, your career could end. And so I essentially, I do recall very much that moment of sending it off to an e-book. So basically going live and then publishing. And I recall the fear and I just ended up thinking, you know what, stuff it. (laughs) If this is actually going to ruin my career in the industries, then I'll find another career. Well, I'm glad that you hit send
0: and published it. Um, So ultimately, um, the reason why you put it out
1: there, can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so I felt that it needed to be told, the truth needed to be told, and the truth in all its forms in all the greatness around what it means to work in those industries but also some of the challenges that are unique for women to overcome and there's a big push at the moment around diversity and inclusion which is excellent but I want to make sure that we are talking about it honestly and frankly. Yeah
0: yeah, Um, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, One of the things as well um, that I enjoyed is that you start out by addressing the concept of gender Mm. and it seems you know that it's a pretty basic concept but it's actually not is it yeah
1: yeah gender is one of those really interesting concepts that I really only educated myself on through reading the book and or writing the book and (laughs) what i had never understood before is that one of the most fascinating things is that genetically you could be a female on the inside yet your anatomy could look like a male And vice versa. Mm. And so, that concept of gender, to me, it's a fluid concept. And so, throughout the book, I refer to males and females, but right up front, I premise it by saying when I actually use those terms, I'm referring to masculinity and femininity. And so, for me, I I wish we could move away from the concept of gender socially we're a long way from that um but if we can just acknowledge that both males and females have aspects of masculinity and femininity within each other then i think that's a step forward
0: yes well i like the way that you presented it as a spectrum Mm. and with hyper masculine on the one end and a line connecting it to Mm. the hyper feminine and it seems to me that that's entirely appropriate because um I, i don't know about you but my you know I'm quite messy um, and I can't cook to save my life. So there are certain traditionally feminine qualities that I don't possess whatsoever. Um, My partner, on the other hand, and he would probably kill me for saying this, but he's an excellent cook and he's quite tidy. So, (laughs) um, you know, I think that, you know, we would sit somewhere in that spectrum in between.
1: Yep. And my funnily enough, my partner and I are exactly the same. So I possess some masculine qualities and he possesses some feminine qualities. And it's interesting to watch how that then plays out in a society that has expectations of the roles that males and females play. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a complex conversation, but if you can at least have that with your closest people, whether it's your partner, your family, uh, your friends, that's yeah. a good way to start influencing the way people see gender.
0: Yeah. So why do you think we still persist with the, you know, checkbox male or female yeah. assessment of gender. Because it seems pretty obvious that, you know, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And look, there are some progressive uh, organisations and associations that enable you to checkbox another, oh, yes. which is other when it comes to gender. So I think, can't recall if it was the latest census but there are some uh, government associations and organizations that provide male tick box female tick box and then other
0: I've actually heard I think they might be talking about introducing that for the Canadian passport great actually yes excellent
1: so I think we're getting there with the concept Mm. but like anything people are always fearful of change generally and this is a change a change around what it might mean for society yeah
0: exactly Mm. so um You also talk about um, the filing cabinet.
1: Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which, um, because I have not very much background in psychology, Mm. apart from the reverse psychology that my parents tried to apply to me when I was young, um, (laughs) I found it really helpful that you used um, a real world example. Um, I believe his name was John and his (laughs) filing cabinet. Um, Can you explain um, for our listeners a little bit about what the filing cabinet is and how that influences, um, you know, people's perceptions and what might be going on in these masculine industries?
1: Yeah sure so the filing cabinet analogy essentially is a real world example to try and describe what we also call unconscious bias and the filing cabinet I'll talk through the way that works so essentially with the brain information comes in to the brain and it has to get decoded and allocated into compartments or files. So in the book, the way I describe it is, uh, I think it's a file, comes onto the desk of the receptionist, which is the, the front part of the brain and the receptionist goes, all right, which filing cabinet does this relate to? Now, the receptionist doesn't open the file. They just look at the term on the front of the file and go, oh, okay, well, that relates to XYZ. I think in this scenario, I use the example for John as the individual. And the receptionist is sitting in John's head, just to be confusing. (laughs) But uh, that file, the receptionist goes, okay. based on John's previous experiences, that file about the woman in his workplace needs to go into the filing cabinet over there. Now, that filing cabinet contains all of John's previous experiences, his perceptions around what it means to be a female and the role that females play. So the background story in the book is that there was a woman at the workplace who was John's boss now. And John was finding it very uncomfortable around having to report to a female boss because previously that had never happened. So he didn't have a previous filing cabinet to say, oh, well, I understand now what it means to interact with a female as a boss. Now based on that the unconscious bias comes in where John gets very uncomfortable with the idea because it's challenging his pre-existing ideas of the role women play. Yeah. So it's it's probably explained a little bit better in the book.
0: No 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 not <laughs> not. It, it, that's exactly how I understood okay, from the book great. as well. Um, and and that's that that makes a lot of sense. So it's it's sort of like um, if I'm understanding it correctly mm. um, you know people's attitudes in the workplace Um, it's not necessarily something that's as you say conscious it's unconscious and and understanding that um, is a powerful tool Mm. to navigating um, your way around these masculine industries Um, you mentioned as well um, exactly that Um, if you can if you can understand the thinking behind um, these behaviors and the motivations behind them Mm. then you can um, influence and build relationships mm. and um, avoid the vicious cycle of just butting heads and, and, and not trying to build any bridges. Yeah, I think that's quite powerful and I think it's absolutely true because if you don't, um, you probably do more harm than good.
1: Yeah, I, the whole purpose of the book is around building self-awareness, yeah. so being aware of the scenario that you're in, being aware of the people you're engaging with and some of their motivations or their, their unconscious biases that they may have, perceptions, all that sort of thing, and then understanding how you're interacting with that. Now, that's not to say that it's anyone's fault yeah. in that relationship at all. I actually liken it to being strategic yes so as a female in an environment where there are specific challenges
0: mm-hmm.
1: and gosh it, it goes for males too but it's about being self-aware to understand how you're engaging and then choosing the best way to navigate yourself in that environment that's going to get you the best outcome
0: well that's right I think as you say it's it, it would be applicable to men Absolutely. equally as, as well as women um, and, and particularly you know where we're talking about a spectrum of gender mm-hmm. and you know anyone who yeah. you might not expect might demonstrate certain characteristics that um, don't necessarily accord with your filing system.
1: That's right. Yeah. Part two of your
0: book is women's business. So you're in the game now. You're working as a FIFO in a mine or at a construction site. Um, and and there are obviously a number of issues that will face women or potentially might face women um, in those sort of situ- situations. <laughs> pardon me. Um, can you tell me the most significant ones in your opinion? Because I know there's a lot of them that possibly might happen, but, you know, the most significant ones that you heard from your feedback talking mm. with the people that you interviewed for the book.
1: The word that that strikes me there the most in that question is significant. So you said, what are the most significant ones? And I always get nervous, uncomfortable, not quite sure what the yeah. word is when people ask me that, because... Yeah. I think that whatever is significant to an individual yeah. is the most significant. Yes. And I suppose to, to give you an answer without mm. copping out of it, <laughs> um, the ones that I've seen, or the root of all some of the challenges, is the unequal treatment or the unequal approach to yeah. males and females. So the 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 crux of most of the challenges comes down to people's belief that women can't or shouldn't or don't want to do mm. certain roles or behave in a certain way that the men do. So it's that inequality of seeing the genders yep. that is probably underlying the ma- the challenges that women experience. So yep. that could be from uh, misunderstanding the types of roles that they want to go for, not giving them the opportunities, uh, not believing they've got the capability to do certain roles, talking over them in meetings. Well, that's huge. Just touching on that point about um,
0: women are um, less likely to put themselves forward for promotions um, and and roles if they don't think that they tick every single requirement in the job description, whereas their male counterparts may be more comfortable doing so. And um, that is an inherent uh, belief within women that we are less capable. That's a bit interesting and I don't understand why. Mm. (laughs) Do do you know why women do that?
1: Uh, I guess the research that's around that Mm. is also somewhat contentious. So the research that demonstrates that women won't go for a role unless they tick all the boxes, whereas men will go if they, I think it's something like 60 or 80 percent, I can't recall exactly. But that was a study that came out of Hewlett-Packard. And What's really interesting about that study, if you go and try and find it online, you can't actually find the source. All you can find is the news articles that have grabbed it and reported on it. Right. And so, look, it's then widely talked about and it's not something that is strongly refuted by women because I think we can all relate to it. So even though yeah. it's a small sample size, a lot of us will go, yeah, I get that. That that makes sense for me. And Well, I, I know.
0: I've thought that before. Yeah. Oh, wait, I haven't done that one thing. Better not apply.
1: Yeah, I won't. They won't pick me anyway, so why should I? And I think the reason behind some of that thinking for women is well, we're products of our society as well. much as anyone else. So the interesting aspect around social influences, and you can talk about nature and nurture, and from a psychological perspective, that gets thrown into that conversation around the the confidence aspect. Uh, But as females, we're also brought up in an environment that is sending us messaging subliminally around who we are and what we should be and what we can and what we can't do and what... Don't win it four square. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) And be pretty and be kind and sweet and, and all that kind of things that constantly gets sent to us Mm. very unconsciously through many media channels through school education all that aspect that impacts how we see ourselves and where we fit in the world
0: you have some pretty startling statistics in your book about mental illness substance abuse and suicide rates um in particular um I think it's 75% of suicide deaths were male and one quarter of those were aged between 20 and 39 years. 65% of those were Australian mine workers. This is really scary. Um, And can you tell me a bit about why you think that's happening?
1: Yeah, it's a a really sobering uh, statistic and I just found out recently a site I was on uh, not too long ago, they've had a number of suicides and it's... It's pervasive, it's something you're constantly hearing in the industry and I really think it stems back to the idea of or the definition of masculinity in Australia Mm. and what it means to be a man and what it means to show that you're not coping or that you need help and if I think about uh, some of the, the sites where I've been on that have been very stressful and there's been a lot at stake and there's a lot of pressure on their, their people to perform and to be efficient and hit the high targets and to save money here and there and it's it's stressful. It yeah. can be a very stressful fast-paced environment and you need to be able to pr- find a way to support yourself yeah. and to to vent that and to, to de-stress and I think that we don't necessarily have a culture that enables men to show that side of themselves and it, a vulnerability and a, a need for help and assistance. And I think that aspect is a big driver of why we're seeing that men are representative of suicides more so, and particularly in our industries.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting as well when those industries you know, are, are quite safety conscious and health conscious and you know that they, they want you to ensure the utmost caution is taken at every turn and yeah. from your PPE to checking your hydration um and you know not um behaving in a way that is um at all unsafe but it seems as though the male culture in these industries is the direct opposite of that
1: and that's such a great comment it's uh I guess what the the good news is is that there are more associations more organizations that have sprung up and recognised that this is a big issue and that's something that we need to address. And so, yes, we, we've had a, a strong safety culture for a very long time now, but we're now starting to see wellbeing come in just as strongly. Yep. So it's health, safety and wellbeing. And we have organisation like Mates for Mates.
0: Yes, and Mates in Construction. Mates in Construction,
1: yep. Mates in Mining, yep. all those sorts of... I think there's men's sheds around as well popping up. So I think those associations are excellent because they're providing, if not a space, at mm. least a dialogue. Yeah. So if someone doesn't feel comfortable to, to put their hand up and go, yep, I might need some help. Yeah. I want to chat to someone. At least there is conversation in the organisation that this is something we care about.
0: Yeah. Do you know if they keep any um, statistics on the uptake of those programs?
1: So most organisations will have what's called an employee perception survey oh sorry, an, an employee assistance yep. um, provider in the EAP. And so that's essentially a, a, a service that employees and sometimes their direct family members can access to get some support. So some psychological support, talk through some challenges. That data is, I guess, given anonymously and aggregated. So you can see how much of an uptake, but you can't see any identifying information. Right. But in things like So mates in construction, mates in mining, I don't know what their reporting is like.
0: I'd be keen to check that out. I Mm. think I will do that and we'll follow that up. Career advancement for women. There's something in your book that I highlighted and it's something that I have um, told um, a number of junior lawyers that I've mentored over the years and it's back yourself. Mm. Um, Those specific words exactly because I think it's so important and I'm so glad that um, you feel the same way. Mm. Um, Can you tell me a bit about... um, why women need to back themselves and and how they might practice doing that because I actually think you probably have to practice doing
1: that. Mm. You have to get comfortable doing it don't you? Yeah. Because it can feel really foreign Hmm. initially and I think that comes back to a bit of the social elements too around we're told not to self-promote. Yes. as, As being females it's not seen as as polite or the right thing to do. Well, We're, it won't
0: make you very well liked sometimes, that's maybe.
1: right. Absolutely. Mm. And I, I certainly think back to my own childhood and the lovely story about <laughs> the four square is a great example. There was no way I could have gloated yeah. uh, because it just was – <laughs> you know, unsightly in a way, and uh, I I think that as females we just have to sometimes just give it a go. Yeah. Literally, think stuff it. I'm just yeah. gonna I'm gonna put it out there and see what happens. Well, and the
0: worst that can happen really is you get told no.
1: Yeah, you get told no, or you're wrong. Yeah, no one listens to you in the yeah. one. At least you put it out there, and, and every time you put it out there, you are challenging. The norm yes you're you're making people think of things in a different way now what i also say in the book is if you don't feel comfortable to do that yet mm. get your tribe yeah so find a tribe of find people your allies. that's it yeah. who will advocate for you yeah. so that's a lot easier and i know through my years that's something i've learned a lot uh I've tried to you know, throw the hat in the ring as much yep. as possible, as, as scary as it is, but it's also really wonderful when you've got a tribe of people that can do it for you. Yeah, It also helps reinforce your own sense of confidence.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you also raise um, the fact that, um, and, and part of knowing sort of the game and, and how you have to navigate your way through it, um, you put forward a number of uh, tips for women um, that range from, drafting their CV to how to dress for an interview and and that sort of thing. Now I can see how people might be a bit bothered by that.
1: Um, can you explain to me why they shouldn't be? I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, certainly in the book, any, well, when I was writing the book, it became uncomfortable for me mm. to be starting to write these things around, you should wear this, you should wear this colour lipstick, mm. this colour does this, gives this impression, blah, blah, blah. Because I don't prescribe to that yeah. either and it, it makes me uncomfortable. But what I do say is everything I'm giving in the book that is, and I'm air quoting now, yes. is advice, <laughs> has come from some sort of research. Yes, And that's not to say, though, that that piece of advice will suit every single scenario that you're going to find yourself in. So the advice, again, air quoting, Mm -hmm. is given more as a, this is what the research says, consider this, but also, again, be aware of what you're about to step into. And think about it strategically. What is the outcome that you need to get from the environment you're about to walk into? And this
0: is what you're saying. It goes back to understanding the, the drivers behind the perceptions and yeah. the behavior and overcoming that so that you can build the relationships. And, and then um, we get into um, once you're in engaging in some diversity guerrilla warfare. I thought that term was fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what diversity guerrilla warfare is? <laughs> yeah.
1: So it probably links in very much with the concept of feminism. Yeah. Really. And I'm a plaque-carrying feminist from way back. And uh, what I do know is that that term and the ideas that it brings behind it is very uncomfortable for some people. I also think it's misunderstood. Correct. It's had a really... Either a very good branding Mm. or a bad branding, depending on what side of the fence you want to sit on. But uh, I think in terms of the guerrilla warfare that I talk about and how I link that to the the concept of feminism is that when you push people and you push your agenda and you are quite aggressive and forward and in the face of people too much, Mm. that can cause discomfort and fear Because of the filing system. That's it, because yeah. of the filing system. The, the receptionist goes, whoa, no, 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 can't <laughs> even come into the office here. This is just too full on. <laughs> so it's, it's very much around, first of all, to influence someone, you have to have a relationship. Yeah. That's either respect, that's either you enjoy the person, you value them, you trust them, whatever it is. But you've got to find a way to connect with someone first yes. before you can influence them. And so my concept is, the reason it's called Rules of the Game, It's because you've got to understand the rules of the game that you're playing with that person, find a way to connect with them, build that relationship, and then once you're in there, you can change it from the inside. And that's guerrilla warfare. It's that subtle, covert way of challenging and changing perceptions.
0: And um, do you think that that's happened in other industries over the course of the last little while? And I'm just thinking about, you know, for example, the legal industry, because, you know, way back when Mm. it was probably a male dominated profession. And now I did some brief uh, with the assistance of um, um, some people in the know, um, got some statistics and uh, evidently, um, you know, for 2015, um, I believe uh, university intakes in the law program was above 60%. And I'm roughly estimating that. Um, Now that's more obviously than men. Um, And, as I understand it, there's, there's a large amount of um, female clerk applicants um, as opposed to men. So something's tipped perhaps in, in the legal profession and I'm just wondering if you've looked at that or if there are any others and whether or not it might, there's something that we're doing right.
1: Mm, it's such a, a great comment because the legal industry I think is a really good example mm. around this. Historically, it would have been. The man's domain. Yes, the law governs society, <laughs> and that's man's work. Mm. Essentially, hist- historically, that was the the idea. And I recall even when I was going through university, uh, my lawyer friends, the ones who were studying law, were actually complaining that oh, the women will get all the better jobs, <laughs> or the females that they'll you know they'll get a more advanced because I'm a male and they're mm. looking for females. And so they were going through their teething process at that stage, but. I think it's the—it's a great example around how more women were going in and just over time the flux coming in yep. was starting to change a culture. Now I can't comment around the culture of the legal system today. Uh, I've but heard maybe some there is a bit of
0: guerrilla warfare, di- diversity guerrilla warfare going on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and it would I'd be most intrigued to understand what started that. So mm. to have women coming into the profession, they have to study, and then what was had the conversations at schools yeah. at that time? The good news that I'm seeing at the moment is the influx of women into engineering just recently. Yes, has, I saw you posted uh, that on Facebook. It's they, so a huge
0: number women taken into the engineering program was it at uq
1: i believe so um there was also i think down in new south one of the the, um universities down there as well so it's happening that's really exciting i'm so excited (laughs) i feel like there is a there's a shift and it's now an option so when I was going through school it never even occurred to me it didn't occur to me either yeah and I was funnily enough going through some of my old school reports just last weekend and some of the the language that was in my reports was very interesting oh, really? so yeah I was a uh, my strongest subjects were math and science yes funnily enough Yet, uh, in my, my reports, was she's a very quiet student. She's very well behaved. And if I recall myself, I probably wasn't very quiet. But yeah. again, I was probably just playing the teachers. Yes. But it's, it's an interesting concept of how schools impact the choices you make. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, it's certainly – and I think about this too because, you know, working in construction law and, and meeting engineers um, through the course of my work, um, it's really interesting stuff. Mm. And I had no idea – these options were out there that's right um when i thought of engineering um and i went to the university of british columbia for my undergraduate degree when i thought of engineering i thought of uh, a gang of 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 guys wearing red jackets um you know putting they put a volkswagen beetle in various precarious positions around the city and that's what i thought it was you know I, i didn't see what it would offer me yeah and that's unfortunate because there are so many options yeah. and it would have been really intriguing. And I understand that I've been assured that the maths aren't too difficult. Mm. Um. <laughs> yeah, as have
1: I. Yeah, <laughs> it was Saying this from this side of the table. Yeah. But I think that if I recall my first, I did one math subject at university mm. and it was the most disengaging yeah. uh, experience that I, I think I was one of 20 women in hundreds Mm -hmm. in my lecture theatre and it was the lecture theatre was completely disengaging still using whiteboard chalk didn't and I just felt like I was out of place I felt like I didn't belong and Mm -hmm. so lo and behold I didn't go down another math subject did I and my course diverted yeah so I coulda, shoulda, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm really glad to see that there are more women seeing engineering as an exciting career because the it really is. It's yeah. exciting. And you get to travel. Yeah, <laughs> and work on amazing projects. And
0: and and, and yes, you see the finished proj- yeah. project or product of your work, um, right. which is really fantastic. Um, so can you tell me, um, taking all of that on board, what are the key things that we can all do right now to improve um gender
1: diversity and inclusion
0: in the masculine industries? Mm.
1: I think uh, it's multi-pronged. So from the, the first level, it's around speaking to you people, yep. understanding what are the experiences of each individual in the organisation and that, whether that's captured through your employee surveys, whether that's focus groups. It's really important to understand what's the reality mm. that our people are experiencing. Uh, secondly, you want to then support your leaders in the organization because if we're expecting or we're bringing in people who are diverse and then we're expecting our leaders to create an inclusive environment, that can sometimes be a big ask. A lot of leaders might be fearful and uncertain around how they manage and lead Mm. with a diverse workforce. So giving them the tools, giving them some support is important. And then lastly, as an organization, it's around looking at your own policies, your own procedures, making sure that they are suitable They're not exclusive or excluding of certain groups. Uh, And then look, best practice. There's so many associations out there Um, namely here in Brisbane where we are today the diversity practitioners Association has formed recently last year and that's around sharing best best practice that organizations are demonstrating in their diversity inclusion space so look for those associations and also look at some of the case studies of organizations that are out there
0: Right. okay and also too I found it fascinating um, just touching on the you know speak to your people Mm. Um, you mentioned that. We need to stop being so politically correct (laughs) Um, and have honest discussions. And that's all about, you know, if you don't have the honest discussion, how can you fix the problem? Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for how one gently does that? Yeah, (laughs) it's a bit,
1: it's a bit fraught, isn't it? Yeah. So I'll put my HR hat. Yeah, put your HR hat on. Please. (laughs) Um, I think that sometimes our concern around offending or doing the wrong thing and for valid reason because there's a boundary and there's always Mm. a a line that we have to walk when we're in an organization and frankly society Mm. in the broader community but I think sometimes that when we are too fearful or we are in an environment where we feel as though we will be punished Mm -hmm. for maybe falling over that line accidentally we will keep our mouth shut Mm. And that then means that all those thoughts that we have in our head around our perceptions and our stereotypes and the way we see certain people fester yep. away in our own little head and they get reinforced rather than out there on the table to be challenged, to be questioned. Uh, and that then also means that when we do throw those things out on the table that could be somewhat contentious, that others around us don't jump on and uh, demonise us yes. for, for having those thoughts. Yeah, but instead rather talk it through, discuss it through and challenge it like open adults without any blame. Yes. And that's that's a big ask. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> some kind of utopia meeting that I'm just describing there. <laughs> but, uh, th- I'm sure it's
0: no doubt <laughs> happening somewhere.
1: Yeah, and I think it is. Um, leaders are now beginning to be a lot more open around yeah. themselves and how they perceive the world and how they can overcome that.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned that um, in terms of things we can do to improve the situation, but also things that um, maybe don't necessarily improve the situation, quotas. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Tell us what you think about quotas.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, I am such a fence sitter on quotas. Yeah. I, I understand that in businesses, what gets measured gets managed. Yes. However, I'm very fearful if an organisation just puts in a quota yeah because it should never just be the only approach to diversity and inclusion. Quotas are one aspect. You've mm. got to make sure that you've then got initiatives underneath that that take more credence yep. uh, to enable the quotas to be achieved. So mm. I am they' they're not my favourite of things, mm. to be honest, but I understand sometimes we need them, and it sets a target. And in organisations, we've actually trained our people to respond to targets. Oh, right. So, if you look at all of us, we have KPIs yes. that go into an organisational yes. strategy. Uh, many bonuses are tied to that. Yep. So, it's...
0: Regular reporting. That's
1: it. Yeah. So, it makes sense. We have been trained to think in that way. Yes. Mm, but we have to make sure with something like diversity and inclusion, which is not so black and white, yeah. uh, that we have to have other uh, broader initiatives to address it.
0: Yes, well, I agree with that. Um, so also too, you say women need to support women. Mm. Um, and you dedicate a number, of page, a number of pages in your book to this concept. What would you like to see most in that regard for mm. women supporting women?
1: This is something I'm really passionate mm. about. I um, I think I mentioned in the book around the, the boys club. Yep. We talk around the boys club and, and often in our industries it's regarded as a bad thing Mm. but frankly it's quite efficient (laughs) it it works well doesn't it it just Mm. depends if you're in the club or you're not yeah in how you perceive it i think for me the idea of women supporting women is is similar in that regards Mm. it's around advocating for other women because we are a minority Yep, there's no denying that and i think together we are stronger Yes. Rather than de- trying to compete with one another to be that unique woman on site yes. or that, you know, special one, the only girl in the crew. Mm-hmm. It's around trying to change the perception of people within that environment that women can operate in this place just as much as a man can. So let's bring in another yep. and another another and you help them to succeed.
0: Yes. Well, I think that that's incredibly important in in all industries as well Mm. and just in life generally Yeah. Um, because really I don't see the purpose in in not supporting each other. Absolutely. It's a sisterhood. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, Now, do you think that there is a role for women outside of those masculine industries to play in terms of um, helping in that regard? Like, um, you know, what can women in general do to... Um, ensure that diversity and inclusion occurs, even in the most difficult industries Mm. to penetrate?
1: That's such a a good question. And I think if you look across all industries, you will have some environments that are majority women. Mm. So teaching and nursing, and and that's not great either, I don't think. We need to have balance across all facets and Mm. all industries. And I think uh, what women can do is certainly... Uh, support each other, as we just spoke about, but also start to consider how you influence the other women around you through your language and your conversations. So traditionally, we know that women are the main child rearers. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a a huge way to influence the next generation and we bring it back to that concept of the discussion we had around possibilities. Yeah. So if you've got daughters or if you've got sons, it doesn't matter. Mm. It's around discussing every possible opportunity, demonstrating how at home the roles are between the the two parents and how gender interplays in that. It's setting the example of the world that you want Mm. your children to be in or the Mm. next generation to be in. Set it now rather than hope that it'll change.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm already working on that in the fact that um, I don't cook and I yeah. don't do any of the...
1: <laughs> yep, that's right. I think it was funny the other weekend my parents were at our house and I was in the bathroom changing a light bulb yeah. and my partner was in the kitchen doing the dishes. Yep. Yeah. And mum had a chuckle. Yeah. Because it's just the way it works in she our house. Yeah.
0: I'm also, um, I think, um, incredibly good at doing some of those mini construction tasks Yeah. Well. Um Yeah. So do you think that there's anything that the society of construction law might do in improving um, diversity in the construction industry, Hmm. taking it a bit away from the women, but just the society as a whole?
1: I think certainly the role for societies is around representation mm. and ensuring that all the media and all the events that you run and, and the board is, is a good balance. Mm. And it shows the diversity of gender, but roles, and, and the whole aspect of what it means to work in the you know, law and construction. Yep. So I think for any association or any society, it is very much around what is the image and the message That Mm. we're putting out there and then how do we influence and advocate to organizations and leaders
0: perfect Um, the double bind so the female stereotype so you've got three you've got the nice girl the bossy girl or the fun girl now i'm reminded of something that i read recently and it's you know a bit but nicole kidman is raising leaders not bossy girls and i thought well that's excellent that's really excellent,, um, and I remember as a child, don't be so bossy yeah <laughs> yep. um, so so you talk about those three stereotypes mm. um, can you tell me what role do those stereotypes play when it comes to women advancing to senior leadership positions in the masculine industries? Mm. <laughs>
1: so I think that. Um, the reason I provide those those descriptions or those three groups is because it does play into the filing cabinet yep. concept. It plays into the schema of how women are and, and, and how we act. And, mm. and and certainly men will have their, their roles too. Uh, but I think in, in how it plays out, particularly being minorities on any site any time that you are being observed mm. or that you're engaging, you are actually being scrutinised more strongly yep. than the males in the room because you are unique, because you stand out, you are different. And so whatever role you mm-hmm. play or whatever hat you're wearing at that moment, it is more noticeable. Yep. And so that then impacts on the way people build their perception of females in the industry and it's wildly unfair Mm. and I you know I hate saying it so many so often to to younger women coming in but because we're as I said the minority we're still pioneering Mm. so all of our actions are going to lay the foundations for the next generation coming in so we want to make sure that we're setting suitable foundations so that they can step up on the right foot yeah To step in even more effective than we have been.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great.
1: Tegan, it has been an
0: absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Thank you, Mel. It's been fabulous to come in. I appreciate it. Um, If our listeners would like to know more about Tegan's work, you can check out her website, thebcw.com.au, and pick up her book, The Rules of the Game, Women in the Masculine Industries. You can also follow the BCW on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Thanks, Mel.